Thanks for listening to another life-transforming message from the team here at C3 Southwest Washington. To find out more about our church, visit c3swwa.com. Good morning. You guys are all awake. I like that. It's fantastic. All right, forgive me. I've got a a drink up here. I'm not trying to be rude, um, but if my throat gets a little dry, I might pause. Like I said, I'm not trying to be rude, but it is flavorful and delicious. Um, thanks. So I uh, wanted to share with you some of the characteristics of Jonah and how his character reflects the character of God. Now, this is a character, um, Pastor Steve was joking this morning, that that's an odd one to select when we're looking at uh, the characteristics of God and how um, humans reflect that and we're designed to reflect that. This is a man whose most notable Uh, Well, his claim to fame is that he tried to commit suicide because he failed to obey God. That's not exactly something that we look in the mirror and say, yeah, I want to be like that, right? He is typically the guy that we look at and say, this is what not to do. This is why you obey God, so you don't get eaten by a large fish, (laughs) right? So looking at Jonah, I I love this story, though, because it is genuinely relatable, and again, as Pastor Steve commented this morning, it's an odd one because most of the time we look at him as disobedient, and I'm thinking, yeah, okay, my first, first thing I'm saying is that I relate to him. Um, <laughs> but let's be honest, okay? This guy, legitimately, he was a prophet, okay? A prophet in Israel. His job was to speak to the people on behalf of God. He clearly understood who God was. He had a relationship with God. He recognized the character of God when he saw it. He'd experienced the character of God, and we see different ways in which he's experiencing the character of God on his life, and yet he continually fails to walk that out in his own life and demonstrate that to those that he's called to serve. Who can relate to that? Okay? I have experienced the character of God in my life. There are many times that despite who I am on the inside, God's character shines through me, and yet so many times it shines through me in this twisted, distorted way in which I take the spirit that lives in me and I filter it and I twist it to my own ways. And I hate to say that, but the reality is it's true. And that's why I like Jonah, because he's real, right? So the scripture, that this overarching um, series is, is talking about how by, by phase and by phase, by step after step, little by little, The Lord is transforming us from one degree into another to return to the glory that he designed us, to to polish that mirror so that we are an accurate reflection of him. And I don't know about you, but I've not reached that yet. And so there are so many times where we look at, at, at different scenarios in the Bible and they seem unattainable, right? I am no King David, all right, in his high points. Now, what I love about the Bible is it talks a lot about the low points of these guys too, right? And so we need to be careful that in our culture, we are not always touting that Jesus has saved me and now I am perfect because everybody knows that churchgoers are hypocrites, right? Okay, I'm raising my hand. Okay. That's right. That's what I preached them when you guys walking home. What did he, he called me a hypocrite. I don't remember anything else. Um, but we recognize that, that to this world out here, it's just as us reading the Bible, we see real people walking out their faith that they believe, and yet, Lord, help me believe, right? To actually carry out what, what God is, is pouring into us. 
So the story of Jonah, for those that uh, aren't maybe familiar, just a, a brief overview. He's a prophet to Israel, and yet he's the mouthpiece of God, and he's been called to speak to not God's people, right? To, to speak to the people of Nineveh, this, this great city in Assyria. Assyria is the enemy of Israel, one of those surrounding places that is constantly a thorn in the side of Israel, that is always threatening to dominate them, but by God they stand and defend and destroy, right? So Israel's enemy is who Jonah is called to go and preach to. And again, I want to highlight that Jonah is not just called to go and preach destruction and prophesy doom because they are evil, right? If you actually study this, his message is one of hope. It's a warning. It's, hey, God, the creator of the universe, the one that Israel serves, he wants better for you. He loves you. He cares about you. And your path is leading to destruction. Okay, that's a message of hope, right? So Jonah is called to do this, and he says, nope. Oh, boy. We'll get to the storm a little bit, guys. It's blowing through, but we're not there yet. So Jonah is called to go and speak hope, and Jonah says, nope, not doing that. And so he boards a ship, and I don't know at what point he thought he was fooling God, but he boards a ship, and he sails to Tarshish, which is geographically the opposite direction of Nineveh. And again, I don't know what he was thinking with regards to just, you know, hey, no, I'm not going to do that, versus I'm going to go the opposite way, because somehow that will be more effective at avoiding what God wants from me. Um, so he's kind of self-sabotaging himself. He gets on the ship, a storm comes up, sent by the Lord to slow him down, get his attention, say, no, 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 you're not going the opposite way. I have plans for you. My ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts are greater than your thoughts. You don't see the plan. You need to follow the plan and trust me. So the storm rises up. He's sleeping down there. I'm not sure if the, the sailors in this boat here are more spiritually in tune or what, or they're just panicking. They're throwing everything that they can get here, right? How many of you know that this world, in a state of, of panic, will look to any and every life raft that they can cling to. Anything that will anchor them, all right? You will have the staunchest atheist in a moment of panic accept your prayer for help, right? Because it can't hurt, okay? So the sailors are, are panicking. They're calling out to their gods and nothing's happening. They're trying to figure out, okay, what is the problem here? So they talk to Jonah. Jonah effectively... And this is the first part that I, I love about him, okay? He demonstrates the character of God in his pursuit for justice. He steps forward and says, it's me. I've messed this up. You guys didn't do anything wrong. This isn't on you. It's on me. And in this moment, he reflects God's justice, accountability. Something is wrong. I did it, and it needs to be fixed. That is not an easy thing to do, right? I mean, how many of you have gone down with a ship before? Maybe don't, don't raise your hand, okay? How many of you gone down with a ship before because you're looking around, everybody's going, right, and you're like, I don't know, you know? This guy over there, probably. It wasn't me. I know that much. It's probably me. And yet Jonah knows that God is a God of justice. It's in this moment that he says, there is no running. I have screwed up, and I need to face the fact that I have failed. I didn't obey. I should have obeyed, and now 
it is causing problems for the people that are around me. Not even people, not just me, but it's causing problems for the people that had nothing to do with this. And unfortunately, in many times in life, it's the people that are closest to us that bear the impacts of our disobedience, our failure, our sin. It doesn't just impact some no-name sailor that we've never met before, okay? Although maybe you're married to a sailor, I don't know. Um, it impacts the people that we love and our care about, our spouses, our, our parents, our children, right? The people that we're trying to demonstrate Christ's love to. In Jonah 1.12, he says, he said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. That takes some guts. Then the sea will quiet down for you, for I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Now, I have never blatantly heard the word of God speak to me to go and do something and turned around and did the exact opposite. Now, I've read my Bible. I've seen what it said to do or not do, and I've done the exact opposite. Right? I've had my parents tell me what to do. Where's the camera? Okay, I've never done the opposite of my parents, if you're watching. They know better than that. Um, it might be that camera, too. I don't know where I'm at. Um, but, but you guys can relate. Okay, it's, it's not necessarily this outright rebellion, but anything that we do that is contrary to what God has said, we got to hurl ourselves overboard. That's justice. Now, I ask, okay, we talk about how we give our sin to God, right? We talk about how Jesus has paid the price for our sin. Who is receiving this payment? It's not God. It's justice. Okay, it's an unseen, unknown, not a living entity, but it is this, this idea that when something is made wrong, it has to be made right. And it's not for us to say that a rebellion directly in the face of God, murder, right, bold-faced lying, or simply speaking to your spouse disrespectfully. Okay, where is that line? It is whatever God says. Okay? And it is not that God desires to destroy us, but in Romans it says the wages of sin is death. The payment for sin is death. That is justice. Sin gets death. That is what makes it right. In order to have justice, there has to be a, a restitution, a replacement, a rebuilding of what was broken. And many times with our sin, that's not possible. And so when, when it's not possible to restore what has been broken, there has to be payment in lieu of, right? That is justice. And it's important that we understand that the creator is the one that decides what is right and what is failure to be right. We don't have to understand it. We don't even have to agree in our minds, okay? We have to recognize he has said it, therefore it is. And again, I want to be very, very clear that God has not set up a set of rules that we have to follow, and if we break them, that puts him in a position of power. That is not the issue. It's that he is perfect. He created us to be in his presence, to share his love with. He is love. He is overflowing with love. He wants to share his love, and yet any compromise to perfection can't be tolerated. Otherwise, it would compromise his perfection, right? So... If, if a potter, a, a creative artist, is making a beautiful creation, he's, he's putting it on the, the, the wheel, and he's 
or she, making it light, uh, the bowl or vase or whatever it's going to be, right? At any point, if there's any imperfection in that, the walls get too thin, maybe it wasn't centered right, it's not going to be able to rise to the height that it was created to be, that creator's intention, if there is some sort of rough spot in it that compromises the integrity of the walls, you can't just fix that. You take the whole lump of clay and you throw it in the corner. It gets recycled for other purposes. It is no longer capable, however insignificant of the flaw, it is not capable of meeting the artist's intention. The key is, is the creator has an intention for us, and any failure, any flaw, any deviation from that intention effectively renders it no longer useful. It is flawed, and it doesn't matter if we understand the flaw. It doesn't matter how big or how small the flaw is. If God says, this is my intention, and we deviate from that, we are guilty of sin, and justice says destruction is what is required. We cannot enter perfection's presence without compromising perfection. Light cannot enter a room of darkness and have just a little bit of darkness hang around. Right? Complete light destroys any darkness. So Jonah recognizes this, and he says, I am doomed for destruction. I have failed. The thing that we can take away from this is don't throw yourself off a ship, okay? It's not my point here. This will get better, I promise. But we need to be accountable. We need to hold ourselves accountable. And in my home, um, I teach my children that you can't give away what you don't own, okay? We want to give our sins to Jesus, 100%. He has paid for them. He wants to take them and, and remove them as far as from the east is from the west, right? But you can't give Jesus what you don't own. So very first thing, you have to tell the truth and own it. Then you can give it away, right? So I don't care how small of an issue it is. Let's be honest with our, ourselves. Every day, get up and ask the Lord, show me what area of my life is not aligning with your intention. Because it's then that you can give it to Jesus, right? So many times, especially in our relationships, we get hung up. Um, we get so complacent with, with grace and forgiveness and this expectation that the Lord forgives, and he does. But we skip past the ownership part. We skip past the magnitude and, and the gravity of the, of the people that we're impacting that are around us. So let's not skip that. Let's be accountable. Secondly, we see Jonah gets thrown overboard. God sends the fish, swallows him up. This is a saving act of grace. Jonah is rescued, and I want to be clear here. Jonah was not motivated by the punishment or the justice. Jonah prayed, Lord, you have saved me. I will return to what it is that you have said I should do. I will carry out my vow to you, and I will preach that the Lord saves. Okay? And we look at the scripture that, that he is praying there, and he says, I will tell that salvation comes from the Lord. Right? That's future tense. He is going to Nineveh to tell the people that they can be saved. He is not motivated because he realized, oh, if I don't obey God, he's going to crush me because that's what justice is. He has learned that he is actually motivated by grace, by mercy, by salvation, by the Lord's compassion. Right? So as we share this story of Jonah, don't get hung up that God sent a storm and Jonah 
was going to kill himself. And then when, when Jonah realized the error of his ways, then God saved him and he sent him to Nineveh again. No, Jonah didn't get out of the fish until he said, God, I see that I should die. I should be dead. I should, it is justice that I die, and yet you save me. Why wouldn't I want to listen to you, God? Why wouldn't I want to obey you? Because when I should die, you saved me instead, right? So Jonah goes and preaches to Nineveh. Mind you, he is still not happy about this. He wants these people to be destroyed. These are the bad guys in the story, right? None of us have ever been polarized with an us-them capacity between Christian living and those that are our enemies, right? But Jonah failed to see, as maybe others have failed to see, that it is not the people that are the enemy. It is the powers of this world that are at work to deceive them. They are oppressed, lost souls that are are slaves to this world, right? So Jonah goes about his business, and he preaches to Nineveh. And guess what? Nineveh responds. But that doesn't make Jonah very happy. (laughs) But God, I did what you said, and it didn't do what I wanted it to do. Because that's not how it works. So Jonah, in his disappointment, he goes outside the city and he camps out. He sets up a little tent for himself and he's huddled out there in the desert. And the Lord sends a plant and it grows up over his tent and it shades him. And he's exceedingly grateful for the plant. But the next morning, God sent a worm and it ate the plant. How many of you gardeners? Yeah. Ate the plant. The plant withered and died. And then he sent an east wind, scorching heat. None of us can relate to that the last couple of weeks. And Jonah, again, finds himself, and it's a repeatable thing throughout Jonah's life. He says, I wish I would just die. It would be better if I were dead than this. Again, he finds himself facing the character of God. He's experienced God's compassion for himself, and yet he fails to see what God wants to do for Nineveh. And God approaches him, and he says, This is uh, uh, Jonah 4, 9 through 11. He says, but God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry. Angry enough to die. Bit dramatic. But this is a guy that literally told sailors to throw him off the side of a boat. So maybe he's not being dramatic. And the Lord said, you pity the plant. And again, I want to dial in here. Pity? Okay, you look up the actual words that are used here. It means you have compassion for You see the plight of something, you see the situation, the fate of something, someone, and not just do you sympathize with it, but you desire to see it change. You wish, you want to take action in some capacity to fight for better than what that is experiencing, okay? That's what pity means here. So the Lord says, you see that plant and you don't think that it's fair that it died. You don't think that it's right that this innocent plant grew up and yet was destroyed for naught. And yet you had nothing to do with that plant. How much greater are these people of Nineveh? I created them. They don't know their left hand from their right hand. Again, they're lost. And I love them, Jonah. How much greater are they worth than the plant? How much greater am I in a position to decide their fate as their creator, the one who set their intention, compared to you who just hung out underneath the plant shade? See, Jonah had a righteous anger when he saw injustice, and yet he could not fathom that his compassion, that his desire to see something better in the world was misdirected at the circumstances that honestly impacted him more than anything else versus the people that were around him. 
And my challenge is that when we work with the Lord's compassion, we allow that to flow through us, I want to challenge us, challenges, challenge us that, that we don't just look to express compassion when the situation suits us. When, when injustice serves us best, when we see that something is impacted and it is wrong, and we want to see the situation changed for God's glory and best, and also that's how I want it. I want to challenge us to look around and see what is wrong in this world with the people's situation that are oppressed, the people that are lost in darkness, that are slaves to sin. Let's not necessarily look at their sin and say, man, that is justice. Ooh. Let's look at them with the eyes that the Lord sees them and says, these people are lost. They don't know their left hand from their right hand. I don't need to stop the sin. I need to help these people understand that God loves them. There is a better way. Again, nobody, I was, I was not introduced to Jesus with the recognition that I had failed. And I was lost and I was hopeless. And he was going to crush me if I didn't respond. Right? I was not introduced to Jesus with my sin. I was introduced to Jesus with the idea that he loved me unconditionally. That despite who I was, he loved me. And the Holy Spirit comes along the way, and little by little, phase by phase, right? One degree to the next, he has been transforming me ever since. Now, some of us see abortion, right, as an injustice, and it is. But I want to challenge us, whether it's that or it's the fact that we've spoke disrespectfully to our spouse this morning. Who are we to say which particular point along the way the Lord is dealing with somebody? Sexual immorality, right? Who are we to say when the Lord is going to dial in on that person and deal with that particular sin? It is quite possible that the Lord wants to save somebody before he sanctifies them. Is anybody here sanctified completely, 100%, or are we covered by the blood of Jesus, despite the fact that tomorrow I'm going to sin again? And I'm inspired to try not to sin because I know that Jesus loves me. Not because I'm worried that he's going to crush me if I do, right? Compassion is the way the Lord works. Jonah saw it, but he saw it through a twisted lens. And lastly, Jonah was humble, believe it or not, in that fish. Jonah prays, Jonah 2.7, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. I remembered the Lord. This is a guy that literally bought a ticket the opposite direction of what the Lord told him to do, told sailors to throw him off the side of a boat. He had not forgotten God. Remembered here is not a reference point to, oh, that's right. There's God. Why didn't I think about that? Remembered, I remembered the Lord. It's an acknowledgement of his rightful place. God, I displaced you, and I remember where you're supposed to be. In this moment, I acknowledge that I am nothing in your presence, and yet you consider me somebody to save. His prayer is not one of desperation, Lord, save me because I'm worth it. It's not, oh, that's right, I forgot that God saves. I should have thought of that. It's God, I have run from you. 
and yet you want to save me. Why, why wouldn't I call out to you? He humbles himself in God's presence. God doesn't need humbling. So how does Jonah's humble character reflect the character of God? Philippians 2 Six through eight says, Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Okay, we are his twisted image. This is not his whole glorious self, right? And yet he took the form of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient. That's key. By becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Psalms 46.10 says, be still and know that I am God. That one's a personal one for me. Because I had so many, I grew up in the church, I had so many analytical issues with why God could or could not exist, that I could disprove him or prove him. There were so many things that I could poke holes in, that I had, had questioned him so much that sure, there is a higher power of some type, but I don't have the time or the energy or desire to seek out that truth. Somebody's right, I don't know, so I will live for me in the meantime, right? And it was in a local church setting, in that moment when I was finally willing to say, all right, I will, I will give a little, in my attempts to do better, I will give a little of myself that I found myself one time sitting at home, and I cracked open my Bible and said, well, I guess if I'm going to actually make an effort... I got to make an effort. And I prayed a genuine prayer. Lord, I can prove you wrong. I can prove that you are not there. I can prove that I am talking to myself right now. But if you are real, you're going to need to prove it to me. And I don't remember where I started reading. That's really not important because it was like a two by four to the back of the head. In this loving kick in the butt that only God can do. I can't describe it to you. But if you felt it, you felt it. It's this hug and conviction. This you are so, so wrong. And yet you are so, so loved. That he stopped me dead in my tracks when I read that be still and know that I am God. I don't have to understand. I don't have to. to these don't line up because I don't get it. It's not because they don't line up. It's because I don't get it. And I need to humble myself. God didn't need me to understand. He didn't need me to fight for justice. He didn't need me to do good things and be compassionate. He needed me to get my place right and understand that he's God, period. All it takes is that humbling belief. Acts 16.31, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Genesis 15.6, and Abraham believed the Lord and it was counted to him as righteousness. His faith, his belief, 
his humility to say, God, I don't get it. I don't see it. I am barren. I am not going to create life, and yet you've promised me a son. You said it, so it will be true. I believe you, God. What you said is true. And it was counted to him as righteousness, as if he was just, as if he had not sinned. It was righteousness. Jonah 4.5, and the people of Nineveh believed God. And they called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. They humbled themselves and simply said, God, I see what we've been doing is not right. I see that you are God and we are not. I don't understand everything else. Those Israelis are kind of weird in some of the things they do. But I believe. Notice that with Nineveh and every other situation... Belief leads to action. We don't have to fully understand, but we need to believe that what God said about himself is true and that what he says about you is true, and that should prompt us to action, to respond, to say, okay, God, I don't get it, but I will do what you say. God, I don't feel good about myself, but you say that I'm valuable, so I'm valuable. I told my daughter one time, uh, I got hung up because so many times you pour, uh, you pour into your, your kids that, that it's uh, in, inner beauty, right? This world's going to tear you down. It's all about external beauty. But I realized, man, I have not really spent very much time expressing outer beauty. So I told my daughter, I said, I don't tell you this enough, but you are a beautiful little girl. You know that? Said, yes, I know. <laughs> all right. And why is that? Jesus said so. Golly, what Jesus says is true. And we've been called to express what Jesus said to those that are around us, your family members, your coworkers, right? To demonstrate it by proxy to strangers. It was through Jesus that God demonstrated to us three of these characteristics, justice, compassion, and humility. And it's through justice, compassion, and humility that we are supposed to display Jesus to the rest of the world. Jonah, he displayed those things, but he got them all twisted. They were, they were like that mirror dimly lit, right? People are like, I see some stuff in there, but I don't know. As we walk in this world, people are watching us. Let's hold ourselves accountable. Let's stand for justice when we see something that is wrong. Social justice has got a bad rap with conservatives these days. God is a just God. When you see injustice, stand up for it, whether it impacts you or not. Right? Recognize when you have made a mistake and try and make it right. When you can't make it right, let somebody know, I get that I can't make this right, but I acknowledge that I was wrong. You might not get forgiveness from them. But you will get a reflection of Jesus bouncing onto him. And humble yourself. Man, I am not in a position to be up here speaking for anything. And yet God's given me the opportunity to share who he is. Though I am like Jonah, constantly twisting his character. So let's recognize who we are. This is not self-deprecation. It's an acknowledgement that we don't get it. God has said that each one of you are valuable and he wants to speak life, justice, 
and compassion to the people that he has put in your life, and he's chosen you to do it. He didn't want somebody besides Jonah. He wanted Jonah. And he got Jonah. Who here wants to be Jonah? <laughs> you get the idea, right? Recognize that there's not a thing you can do to earn God's favor, but we are justified. We are considered righteous in his sight by the faith that we place in him, by our declaration of humility and acknowledgement that justice can't be met by us, but it's met by the compassion of Jesus. Does that make sense? All right, if, if you want to believe that, stand with me. Let's pray and let's worship him for who he is. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you, God that you are a just God, that you are not willing to compromise, that your perfection will not be tainted by our imperfection. And God, I thank you that it is not dependent upon me understanding where is failure in my life and where is righteousness. But God, I have your word and your spirit inside me to speak life, direction, and truth. God, I thank you for your compassion that you were not simply a God of justice that says you have failed and the wages of your sin is death and destruction, but that you said, I love you enough to pay that price, to justify you, even though I've done nothing wrong, even though I am sinless, I am blameless, I will take that for you. God, I thank you that you humbled yourself that you did not cling to your godhood, but you set that aside. But God, because of your godhood, you would not be held by death, but that you were raised to life and made a path for me by faith, simply by believing that you were who you said you were and you did what you said you did. That I can follow you from death into life to be with you. Thank you, Jesus, for your compassion, for your, for your humility in that state. And for your justice, Lord, help us to share these attributes with those that are around us. In your son's name, the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. To find out more about our pastors, leaders, and what we do at C3 Church, visit our website at c3swwa.com.